open mind there as well, praise God, and excited about the things we're going to look at tonight, and um, appreciate you being here to, to hear and to receive, amen, praise God, well we're looking forward to Sunday, we'll be having communion together on Sunday at, at, at 1030, and um, if you're wondering why the building smells so good, um, we are uh, cooking barbecue, amen, um, the youth, uh, annual youth uh, barbecue sale, and um, Man, they were all kind of laid out in there on the table a while ago, and I was like, that belongs to somebody and not me, but I sure am wanting to get a big old chunk of it. But I didn't. I didn't. Amen. So, uh, uh, but the Lord is good. Praise God. All right, Matthew chapter 8. And um, I tell you what, before I read the passage, let me, uh, let me just kind of talk to you for a minute. Praise God. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. Remember, we're talking about faith flourishing in an understanding heart. The Bible's very clear. God has given to every person the measure of faith. The Bible literally says it this way, that he has dealt to every man the measure of faith. And so um, faith is a spiritual substance. Uh, it, it's, it's not like a, you know, a glass of water or a cup of sugar, but it is something that can be measured. And we know that God has given to each person the measure of faith. And we know that that faith resides in our hearts. Amen. And we know that in order for that faith to produce the results in our lives that God intends for it to, to produce... There has to be understanding in that heart. And so that's, that's what we mean when we say faith will flourish in an understanding heart. Another way to think of it is, is this. Um, even though a man or a woman can have faith that God gave them deep inside of them, if there's no understanding of, of what God has said, if there's no understanding of, of what God's word is concerning their lives, their health, their future, their finances, their families, then it'll be very difficult for them to operate in faith where those things are concerned. So again, faith will flourish in an understanding heart. Now in Matthew, the 8th chapter, beginning at verse 5, we see a, a man who came to Jesus whose faith amazed Jesus. Jesus was just, you know, marveled at, at this man's display of faith. And, and so what we're looking at then is what is it that this man understood that enabled his faith to flourish in the way that it flourished. And so let's, let's begin at verse number 5. It says, Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a certain uh, a centurion rather came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Skip down now to verse 13. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. So what is it that the centurion understood about healing that we may not understand or that others may not understand? What is it that, that gave him such insight? And one of the key things that we've been looking at lately, and I'm, I'm well aware that we probably got 50% of the folks here tonight have not, weren't here in the previous weeks. And so I appreciate those of you who've been here for this study, kind of bearing with me for a minute while I try to get us all on the same page, but um, different things in life mark us, different experiences, um, they, they form within us a perspective and an understanding of things that, um, 
that others who have not had the same experience um, uh, simply don't have. Um, we've talked about people who grew up during the Great Depression, and, and they have a perspective on money and, and the value of a dollar um, that uh, folks who grew up in other time periods um, you know, do not have. But we said there's one experience that a, a, a person uh, can um, you know, have in life that, that really forms within them a perspective and an understanding um, unlike any other, and that's those who have served in the military, especially those who have served in combat, active combat in the military. And, and so if, if that's you tonight, then you understand that you have a perspective on things like um, following orders, uh, a perspective on, um, you know, no one left behind, you know, things that were formed and forged in you, uh, ways that you would look at things, ways that you would process uh, situations um, that other people you know, simply do not have. Um, a, a dear friend and, and, and part of this family of faith here at Heritage, um, uh, Tommy Presley, uh, and I apologize, do you remember his, the rank he retired, Matt? I, it's Lieutenant, Lieutenant Major, Major, yeah, Major, uh, in the Army, of course, two tours of duty, I think at least in Iraq. And he, and he talked about when he came home, that he found himself blowing through red lights. Um, because when you're in, in a caravan in, uh, in outside of Baghdad, you don't stop for nothing you know, because of roadside bombs and attacks and things of that nature. And so notice now his understanding was like if there was a car parked on the side of the road, um, he would go all the way off the road on the other side. I'm talking about not in Baghdad. I'm talking about in, in Pelham. You know what I'm saying? He, he, in, right here in Alabama, Jefferson County, Shelby County. He would go all the way off the road on the other side around it. And he's like, man, what am I doing? But again, that's, that's how they operated there in case it was uh, uh, you know, an explosive device in that abandoned vehicle or, or things of that nature. So I'm just trying to show you again. When, when you've served in combat, when you've been through boot camp and had these types of experiences, you understand things differently than someone who has not had a similar experience. And, and I think all of that played right into the centurion's understanding and it played right into his faith because he recognized that Jesus was a man under authority like himself, but also because he was under authority, he was a man who had authority. And he also recognized that in the same way that he would speak to a, a soldier under him and that soldier would obey him, that Jesus would speak to demons and demons would obey him. Jesus would speak to fevers and fevers would obey him. Jesus would speak to blindness and blindness would obey him. And so it was this understanding that the centurion had that brought him to Jesus and, and Jesus you know, is willing to come to his house and heal, heal his servant, but the centurion said that that was not necessary, that all he had to do was speak the word only and his servant would be healed. And so I'm going to just spend a, just a brief moment here, um, and then we'll move on. But I want you to notice that the centurion, understand, the, the, the centurion understood that Jesus did not have to be physically present for his servant to be healed that Jesus' word was enough, that what Jesus said was enough. Um, and so the question for us this evening, is his word enough for you? Um, you know, are we waiting for Jesus to come down from heaven and do for us what he's already done for us? Are we waiting for Jesus to come back from the dead and do for us 
what he died to produce in our lives, or is, is what he said to us about these things and the promises that he's made concerning these things enough for us. This is why 1 Peter 2.24 says, By his stripes you were healed. Not by his stripes you will be healed. Not even as it reads in the Old Testament, by his stripes you are healed. But because Jesus has already bought and paid for your healing and my healing, it's now written in the past tense. By his stripes you were healed. So again, is Jesus' word enough for you? Now, I think one of the reasons that Jesus marveled at this man's faith was because the centurion's understanding and faith were literally without precedent. Now, I want you to stay with me for a moment, okay, because um, I think this is, is, is going to shed some light on, on this that, that's, that's going to maybe help you see and understand a little bit why Jesus was so impressed by this man's faith. So when we say it was literally without precedent, what do we mean by this? What we mean by this is there was no other example of Jesus healing somebody in this way. There was no other example. It wasn't like Jesus had done this 14 times already, and this guy was just number 15 in line. As a matter of fact, this man is the first recorded healing of Jesus where the person who needed healing was either um, brought, um, was not, how do I say this? He was not brought to Jesus, nor did he come to Jesus. I butchered that. Stay with me. Are y'all with me? Can you tell I get excited about stuff and I start talking crazy? All right. You still with me? All right. So, so think about it for a moment. Jesus had healed a lot of people, but every single person Jesus had healed had either come to Jesus and requested healing or had been brought to Jesus to be healed or Jesus went to them and healed them. As a matter of fact, this is the first recorded uh, uh, occasion of Jesus healing somebody without touching them. Every person that Jesus had healed, and there were hundreds if not thousands of people that Jesus had healed prior to this healing, okay, um, but every single one of those people was someone that Jesus had touched. In other words, that was the precedent. That was the method. That was how Jesus went about it. So when the centurion comes and says, you do not have to touch him, you do not have to come to my house, he does not have to be brought to you, all you have to do is speak the word. This was unprecedented. In other words, this had never happened before in Jesus' earthly ministry. But notice, this man believed it as if he had seen it happen 17 times. I don't know, that's, that does something for me. Now... Um, later, we're going to see a, a Syrian woman from Phoenicia who Jesus is going to cast the devil out of her daughter without touching her. And then we're going to see Jesus heal ten lepers who actually came to him but, but cried out from a distance. And we see they were healed by Jesus speaking the word. But this guy is, is breaking new ground when he says, you don't have to come, you don't have to touch him, all you have to do is speak the word only. Now, I want to use this, though, to just reinforce this idea that faith will flourish in an understanding heart. And so, if all you understand about healing is that if you're going to be healed, Jesus has to come and touch you. Notice, if that's all you understand about healing then that is as far as your faith for healing will go. Are you seeing this? Yes? No? Maybe. 
Are you seeing this? If, if that's all you understand about healing, that Jesus has to come and physically put his hand on you and touch you for you to be healed, then that's as far as your faith for healing um, will go. In other words, your faith will not flourish any further than that level of understanding. Okay? But notice now, the centurion understood because Jesus, again, was a man of authority. A man of authority doesn't have to go and do it himself. A man of authority can speak the word only. And a man of authority can, can command for it to be done. And because he's under authority and has authority, whatever he commands to be done will be carried out. He understood that from his own military background. And so it translated over for him. It, it wasn't a stretch for him. It wasn't like, you know, well, maybe this work, maybe it won't. He's like, no, no, I'm, I'm telling you this. I'm saying this to you, Jesus, because I recognize that you are under authority and you have authority over sickness, over disease, over devils, and over demons. Now, this may not be exactly the same, but it is absolutely similar to our father Abraham's faith if you'll recall, he believed without precedent. He believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead when we have no record of any human being in the history of mankind up until that point being raised from the dead. Now, we, beyond this point, we know that people have been raised from the dead. And, of course, beyond this point, we know that the Word of God can be spoken and people can be healed. But this was, again, um, a brand new thing. Faith that impressed Jesus. All right? Now, number 10. Let's go. Praise God. Number 10. What is it the centurion understood? The centurion understood healing was easy for Jesus. The centurion understood healing was easy for Jesus. The Bible says that the faith that you've been given is awakened, it is aroused, it is strengthened, it is brought to the surface in your life by hearing the Word of God. Faith by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Faith by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. We see, for example, a woman in the New Testament that Jesus didn't go and knock on her door and ask her if she wanted to be healed. But she pushed through the crowd and she touched the hem of Jesus' garment and received healing. As a matter of fact, we could, we could say it this way. She snuck her some healing. She, she pickpocketed some healing. Her, her faith, uh, you know, grabbed that healing and, and laid hold of it. And, and what we see is that the Bible says that she said within herself continually... She said within herself continually, if I touch his clothes, I will be healed. If I touch his clothes, I will be healed. If I touch his clothes, I will be healed. If I touch his clothes, I will be healed. She said that within herself continually. What is she doing? She's speaking the word of God. 
The Word of God says that when the Messiah comes, there will be healing in the fringes of His garments. Amen. And so she was saying, if I touch the hem of His garment, if I touch the fringes of His garment, I'll be healed. If I touch the fringes of His garment, the hem of His garment, I'll be healed. She is feeding the faith that God put inside of her by what she was saying to herself continually. Now, I want you to think for a moment, because we're going to make some changes tonight, but I want you to think for a moment, what have you been saying to yourself continually? What is it that you've been rehearsing over and over and over in your mind? Is it something that feeds your fate? Is it something that strengthens your fate? Is it something that produces hope and confidence and expectation uh, 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 for God to work in your life within you? Or is it something that is dragging you down? You know, I'll never come out of this. I'll never pay this debt off. I'll never get out of this situation. See, that's what so many times people are saying over and over within themselves. They're repeating the problem. They're repeating the negativity. They're, they're, they're allowing the enemy to, to feed them lies. And they're repeating those lies and, 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 and saying those lies over and over and over within themselves. Now, there's one that, and there's all kinds of things in the scriptures, okay? But if we go all the way back to when the angel of the Lord came to Abram and Sarah. This is before God changed their names to Abraham and Sarah. And he told them that they were going to conceive and give birth to a son in their old age. And it seemed so far-fetched to them that they laughed in God's face at the idea of it. And the angel of the Lord looked at them because he wasn't laughing. Come on now. He wasn't laughing. He was serious about this. And he looked at them... I pray that the, um, there's a photo of the expression on his face in heaven one day that we can see. But I believe he looked at them like, why, why are you laughing? And then he says this. He says, he asked them a question. It's an important question, okay? You might want to write it down, or again, it's pretty simple. You might can remember it, okay? He asked them a question. He says, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is, you know, you're laughing at this like it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? I believe Abraham and Sarah latched onto that question. And I believe every time doubt rose up in their hearts, they stomped it down with that question. Every time, every time the question rose up in them, how is this ever going to happen? They responded by saying out loud or within themselves continually, is there anything too hard for the Lord? 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 Now, why am I telling you this? I I am challenging you to start muttering that to yourself. A lot of nights during the week, not every because I have different ones that I that I like to uh, chew on as I, as I drift off to sleep. But here lately, most nights, that's, that's been the one for me. Eventually, you'll, you'll quit, you'll go from asking the question, is there anything too hard for the Lord, to just simply saying, nothing's too hard for you, Lord. Nothing's too hard for you, Lord. 
Nothing's too hard for you, Lord. Listen to me. If you think this is silly, you listen to me. One of the, one of the biggest lies the devil has convinced so many of God's people of is that it's too hard. It's too hard. It's too hard to understand the Bible. It's too hard to go to church. It's too hard to live the life God created us to live. It's too hard to be good. It's too hard to do right. It's too hard to live free. It's too hard to have better. It's too hard to have more. It's too hard to share my faith. It's too hard to to reach out to somebody else. It's too hard to serve God. It's too hard. It's too hard. It's too hard. It's too hard. He's lying to you. Is anything too hard for the Lord? That would have been a good place for you to say no, but that's all right. The centurion understood healing was easy for Jesus. You see, you see, we tend, follow me now, follow me now, because I think this is where a lot of us get hung up, okay? We tend to think that if something is hard for us, it has to be hard for everybody. Am I right about this? We, we tend to think, listen, I'm, I'm going to throw a few more in here. We tend to think if something is boring to us, it must be boring for everybody. We, we, we tend to think that, that, that if, 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 if this is something that we're not interested in, then nobody's interested in it. Do you know that there are actually people, this will come as a shock to some of you, do you know that there are actually people alive and well right now on planet Earth who enjoy things like math and cutting grass? They actually enjoy it. Now, if, if, if you absolutely despise cutting grass and think math is a waste of time, right, then you more than likely think everybody looks at it the same way as you. But that's simply not the case. And so when we're faced with difficult, challenging, seemingly impossible situations and things in our lives, we have a tendency to think that they're impossible for everybody. Or if it's something that we don't necessarily enjoy doing, we have a tendency to project that onto other people and think that this is something that they uh, potentially would not enjoy doing at all. Let me say it another way. If, if you don't like other people to bug you, then you more than likely think you don't, you know, other people don't like you to bug them and that you're just being a bother to them. Okay? Right? Now, for those of you who, who are new around here at Heritage, let me just go ahead and re- remind them. I'll tell everybody that's new, and I'll remind everybody that's been here a while, okay? Please don't ever apologize to me for bothering me, okay? Pastor Mark, and I hate to bother you. That's, that's the last thing in the world I want to hear from you, okay? All right? You understand what I'm saying? Hmm? I have joyfully given my life to serving you, okay? <laughs> You're not bothering me. It's actually, and no coincidence, I worked at Chick-fil-A, okay? It's actually my pleasure. <laughs> Amen? Are you hearing me? Praise God. All right. It's my pleasure. I actually enjoy it, okay? And so the centurion understood that healing was easy for Jesus. See, we think, again, something's very difficult, something's very hard. You know, it's like, oh my goodness, we've tried and, and, and we've butted our heads against this and we've done everything and we spent all this money and it's still not fixed. And now, now, oh man, we're going to have to see if Jesus can help us and it's going to be so hard for Jesus and, he, and it's going to be bothering him and we're going to put him out and, and he impose on him and, and all this other stuff. Are you kidding me? Remember what Brandon Lake says in that song, Too Good to Not Believe. He heals because he loves It may seem hard or boring or bothersome to you, but my friend, it's not that way. 
to the Jesus who loves you so much. Just because something's hard for you doesn't mean it's hard for everyone. Because something is a bother for you doesn't mean it's a bother for everyone else. So this centurion understood he wasn't being a bother. See, this is where a lot of us shoot ourselves in the, in, in the fake foot before we ever get started. Because we go before the Lord to receive from Him like we're bothering Him. We go before the Lord. Notice, you don't hear, you don't hear any um, negotiations on the part of the centurion. No crazy promises like, if you do this for me, I'll never ask you for another thing. Come on now, right? I'm, maybe I'm the only one that's ever made some silly prayer like that, okay? If you, if, you just do, if you just answer this one prayer, if you just help me with this, I won't ask you again, and blah, blah, blah. See, again, what, notice what we're doing. We're acting like we're putting God out by asking Him, and so we'll tell Him, look, if you'll just help me with this, I won't ask you to help me anymore because I don't want to bother you anymore. My little grandson asked me a while ago, he said, can I come see you, granddaddy? Like, are you kidding me? You want to climb up on my shoulders, buddy? You, you follow what I'm saying? That's not a bother. It wasn't bothering me. It wasn't a chore. It was joy to hold him for a few minutes during praise and worship. I like to hold him and pray in tongues. He kind of, I kind of catch him out of sight. He kind of watches me. He's like trying to figure it out, right? Amen. Praise God. I didn't freak you out just then, did I? Okay. I, was, I started doing that. He was real little. He'd sleep on me, and I'd just sit there and just pray in the Spirit. Praise God. He didn't try to bribe Jesus with wild promises of commitment in exchange for his help. He didn't feel the need to apologize for asking. He understood that he wasn't being a bother. He understood that he wasn't uh, imposing on Jesus. He understood that healing was easy for Jesus. It was something Jesus was good at. Come on now. Now, if, if, if you ask me to help you with something that I'm not good at, I'm still going to try to help you, but I'm probably going to try to find somebody that I know that's good at what you need help at. You follow me? But think about what you're good at. Think about what you're good at. And how much you enjoy when somebody asks you to help them with what you're good at. Are you following what I'm saying? If you're good at something, man, and you enjoy doing something, then it's, it's no bother for somebody to ask you. It's no bother. It's a blessing. Amen. The other, other night, Gina was having trouble with her car. It's a Honda. Man, Brother Mark Sunberg, he knows Hondas. I called him. I don't think I said, am I bothering you? But I did ask him if I was calling too late. You know. And man, he talked me and John Mark through it over the phone. Didn't have to call a tow truck. Fixed it right there in the driveway. Amen. And see, he enjoys that. I wasn't putting him out. First of all, he enjoys helping people, period. But something he, you know, I guess the only other thing that we, he would have enjoyed more if I'd asked him about a Volkswagen. Man, he, he just, he eats them Volkswagens up, right? See, here, here's the reality of it. Are you ready? The only time we see Jesus grieved over healing 
is when people refused to let him heal them. We never see him put out over somebody wanting to be healed. It's just the opposite. We see him grieved and troubled over people he wanted to heal who refused to give him place in their lives that would allow him to help them. How about this one, man? This is good right here. Matthew chapter 9, verses 5, 6, and 7. Matthew 9, let's begin at verse number 5. Jesus asked this question. He says, For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise and walk? Now, what's going on right here? Jesus is in a house, and he has attracted a crowd, and it is actually a crowd of religious leaders, high-ranking officials in the Jewish religion. And the Bible says that the power of God was present to heal those religious leaders, but none of them were healed that day. But there was a man that had been paralyzed and his four buddies found out Jesus was in that house and so his four buddies carried him to that house but when they got there, they couldn't get in the front door, they couldn't get in the back door, they they couldn't even get close enough to see if they could slide him through a window. And so literally, refusing to be denied, they climbed up on the roof and they started tearing tiles off the roof. Have you ever like pulled sheetrock out of a ceiling and all the dust. I know, I'm not saying they had like pink fiberglass insulation in, in those days, but just the dust and stuff. I mean, so it was all coming down. I mean, you know, Jesus could have like, dude, you're messing up my quaff here. What, what, are, what are y'all doing? Cut that out. No, 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 no. I believe it made Jesus smile really big because see, what is, he, what is he wanting to do? He's wanting to heal somebody. He's feeling it. I, I mean, I'm, I don't mean that disrespectful. When, when the Bible says the power of God was present to heal, Jesus was feeling it. And I don't know what that felt like. I don't know if his right hand was burning. I don't know if, you know, he just was ready to help somebody. And all them, all them naughty-headed religious people could do was try to ask him a question he couldn't answer. Just trying to embarrass him. Trying to prove that he didn't know everything when he actually knew everything. He Amen, but that's another story altogether. So here comes the dude through the roof. Is Jesus put out by this? Is Jesus annoyed by this? Is Jesus bothered by this? No, man. Jesus is fixing to use this as, as a display, right? So before he ever heals the young man, he says, your sins be forgiven you. If you'd been standing in that room that day, you better hope you had had a breath before they said that because those men just sucked all the oxygen out of that house. (gasps) Who does he think he is? To forgive sins? And so Jesus, it's his turn to ask them a question. Which is easier? Please pay very close attention to that word easier. He didn't say which is harder. He said, which is easier? Can I tell you why he said, which is easier? Because to Jesus, they're both easy. To Jesus, they're both easy. Which is easier? 
to say your sins are forgiven you or to say arise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Forgiven and healed. Because these are things that Jesus loves to do. He loves to forgive. See, we may look at forgiveness as being hard, hard to forgive. Don't know if I ever can forgive them, Pastor Mark. What they've done to me, I don't think I ever will forgive them. Well, see, notice, you're saying that to yourself continually. Jesus is not like that. See, we think because it's hard for us to forgive other people that it makes it hard for him to forgive us. Wrong, wrong, wrong. It's easy to forgive praise god you got time for me to at least start one more or are we are we are y'all done for the night yeah, can we go one more all right number 11 the centurion understood there was plenty of healing for everybody the centurion understood there was plenty of healing for everybody now i believe this is another area where the centurion's government and military background served him well his his training his experience right he represented the most powerful natural government on planet earth that would have been the roman empire he was a a a man who held a high-ranking position in the roman military and um no doubt he would have been responsible uh for uh rations and budgets and armament and requisitions and and all these things for hundreds and hundreds of men okay what am i what am i trying to say to you i'm trying to say to you that this man knew how to think big this man um was not a a victim or a prisoner of of small and and limited um thinking he knew how to think big and he was not intimidated by large numbers. He was not intimidated by large numbers. Okay? Let me try to give you an example in my own life. Um, I remember not long after Pam and I uh, first married that um, I was uh, believing God for a computer um, that in those days it was a very nice computer. And, of course, computers have gotten better and cheaper over the years. This particular computer was um, between $1,000 and $1,500. And it might as well have been a million dollars. That just seemed like an impossible number for me. Okay? So, you get used to handling hundreds, but listen to me now, for the child of God... You, you get used to paying tithes and giving offerings on hundreds so that when you're managing thousands, right? So in, in my progression, and, and, and this is where the Lord really helped me, especially later when uh, Pam and I and, and our family, we were, we were in uh, cabinet business. Um, now, all of a sudden, uh, well, even before then, 
you know, I mentioned Chick-fil-A. Uh, although it wasn't my money, um, I, I was responsible for, this was before, the, the, you know, you could pay with a credit card or a debit card at the register. You know, so, you know, I, I was literally handling tens of thousands of dollars um, a, a week um, responsible for balancing and, and managing and, and depositing and, and all of that, okay? So notice now I've gone from handling hundreds to handling thousands. I've gone from handling thousands to handling ten thousands. Then I went from handling ten thousands to handling hundred thousands, right? When we, when we built this building, um, a, a family in the church gave us a piece of property, uh, gave the property to the church. It was waterfront property down in Florida, Punta Gorda, Florida, that we were able to sell for $175,000. And I remember holding that check in my hand, thinking back when 1500 seemed out of reach. Now we're at $175,000. Are you with me? Are you, are you trying to? Amen. Okay. So the idea is that the Lord wants to move us from faith to faith, from glory to glory, um, from from you know one level of his of of experiencing His grace to another level of experiencing His grace, and so we we grow like that. So if we're ever going to handle millions, right, we got to get used to handling hundreds of thousands, being responsible, being good steward all the way down the road, right? So this particular centurion, he would have already advanced through those ranks, if you will, literally and, and figuratively. He, he, he would have already um, had, you know, this, this um, mindset of, of, you know, Rome did everything right. Are you understand what I'm saying? That, they took great pride in that. Um, you, you know, they... Um, I mean, look at the things they built. I mean, you understand what I'm saying? It, it was it was extravagant. It was it was. Look at how their soldiers dressed. Look at how a centurion dressed. Okay, the money. That, it, it wasn't necessary for them to have all of those trappings on their uniforms. But again, this was the mindset. Okay, so listen to me, please. Listen to me, please. We have to be stretched to think bigger. Most people understand more about lack and a limited supply than they understand about abundance and an unlimited supply. Let me try to say it another way. How much of your understanding is based upon lack? Not having enough, not doing enough, not being enough, coming up a day late and a dollar short. You follow me? We, we, we've had these experiences in our lives so much so that a lot of people, I'm talking about God's people, we just expect it to turn out that way. Again, our understanding is more about lack and limited supply than abundance and an unlimited supply. This man was a representative of the Roman Empire. I'm not trying to act like they had unlimited resources but I'm telling you, if he needed something, he got two of them. And so when he comes to Jesus, because he recognizes again that Jesus is a representative of a king greater than him and an authority greater than him, you see, you see what I'm saying? And that he heals and enjoys doing it and that surely there would be enough healing for everybody. 
I've heard it said this way. When God's people were in slavery, they were in the land of not enough. He took them out of slavery in Egypt where there was not enough. And they came into the wilderness where he fed them with manna, a land of just enough. Okay? But God's ultimate goal for them was a place called a promised land, which was a land of more than enough. Stand with me tonight. I want to ask you a real simple question. Where are you tonight? I think maybe all of us, I don't know, maybe, maybe not, but I think most of us, if not all of us, can relate to times in our lives where when I say not enough, you may have had food and clothing and shelter, but there's more to enough than just having things. Amen. Where you weren't um, ready for the challenges at, at hand. And, and in other words, you, you felt like you were not enough. Then we come to that survival mode. Just enough. Just getting by. It's really, it's really sad to me, but there's a, there's a lot of folks in the body of Christ today who believe just enough is God's best. It's, you know, as long as you got enough money for the month. No, 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 no. See, that's not, that's not where God's trying to take you. He wants to take you to the land of more than enough. And so do you see how this centurion's understanding of plenty, this, his understanding of more than enough, his understanding of, you know, he never asked for something for his troops and, and was told, sorry, sir, we, we catch us next month. We'll see. No, that, 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 was not, that was not how his mind worked. That was not how the Roman government worked. And so when he came to Jesus, it was like, I need healing for my servant. Jesus has got healing, and he's got enough for everybody. Let, let me, let me, I know I got you standing. I'm trying to finish. We were talking one day about praying for a good parking place. Now, for some of you, that may sound so silly and so frivolous, but it's called exercising your faith. You know, if you wait till there's some terminal cancer, cancer diagnosis to try to do something with your faith, it may very well be too late. You know, we didn't have a dog till late in life. I watched my brother lay hands on his dogs, pray for his dogs. The Lord taught me a whole lot about faith when all that was involved was money, not souls. So we were praying and talking about, rather, praying for a good parking place. And somebody who was listening, believer, Christian person, she said, I would never in a million years use one of my prayer requests up on a parking place. I looked at her and I said, I'm not sure I understand what you're saying. She goes, I, I would save that for something big, something that I really needed. Notice her thinking. Her thinking is, you only get one or two shots maybe. So coupons, yeah, you know, how about three wishes, like a genie in a bottle, right? You know, She's like looking at me like I had three wishes and I just used one on a parking place. And I should have held one in my pocket for something that I never, you know. But notice the mindset here. So this centurion understood 
that, that if Jesus healed his servant, it wasn't going to mean somebody else went without it. You see what I'm talking about here? It's like, well, you know what? Jesus can, can heal me and he can heal someone. This is when it comes to financial blessings. See, we, I'll pick it up here next week, but we, we have this mindset that if God does something good for us financially, he's not going to have enough money to do something good for somebody else. You realize that Father God could give every person in this room tonight a five-bedroom house plus a vacation home in the location of your choosing and it not even make a dent in his budget. See, it's, I'm just trying to show you. He, he, it's unlimited resources. It's unlimited supply. We don't have to crawl in begging in a pot. See, the Bible says come boldly. Come boldly. Come like a, like a son asking his father. The Lord told Kenneth Copeland, he said, Son, I have at least a hundred different ways to make you a millionaire. And you can't think of a single one. See, because we, we've been programmed to think lack. We've been programmed to think limited supply. We've been programmed to think zero-sum economics. We've been programmed to think that if we get something, somebody else is going to have to do without for us to have it. That's not how the kingdom works. Aren't you glad tonight he's got enough forgiveness and enough, and enough love and enough healing for everybody? Amen. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for this, Lord, beautiful, beautiful crowd on a Wednesday evening. We are so thankful, Lord for every person that's here, but Lord, especially my friends, Lord, from the foundry, thank you, Lord, for these men. Father, they woke up so early and been working so hard all day and already been to class early this morning, and yet, Father, here they are. It, it, it looks like somebody's diligently seeking you to me, Father, and I thank you that, that you reward those who do that. So I ask you to reward every person under the sound of my voice right now Father, for the effort that they put into drawing closer to you, hearing from you, learning something about you tonight that will make a difference in their lives. I pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. All right, I'll see some.